You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Let's express that to the Lord in prayer now together. Lift your hearts with me as I pray. Father, what a joy, what a privilege it is this morning to be in your house to worship you, the one true living God. And God, we just want to stop today and simply say this, God, we love you. With all of our hearts, Lord, we adore you. You are supreme in our lives. And God, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can come in a place of freedom and simply lift high the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray what we've just been singing about is true in every single heart here. Lord, for those that are here that it's not clear, that our hearts aren't quite there, God, would you stir us, Lord, to a greater uh, appreciation and affection for Jesus Christ. God, thank you for our church family today who so faithfully gathers, rain or shine, long weekend or not. Thank you for our brothers and sisters here, Lord, that gather together to encourage each other and and, and, and walk in your ways. God, I pray for those today that can't be here, whether they're away on holidays, be with them, God, and, and give them safety and help them find a place to worship today, Lord, in spirit and truth. God, I pray for those today that can't be here because of of physical ailments. And God, we know there's many within our church. And Father, they don't go unnoticed upon us. Our hearts go out to them. Be near them today, God. Whether they're in a hospital bed or whether they're stuck at home, oh, Father, would you, in this moment, even by the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage them with the love and the constant companionship of their God. Father, for those that are sick, would you heal them, Lord? For those that maybe aren't with us because they're struggling with with something else, God, would you be God in their lives? Father, we thank you that we can be a body of believers who who not just worships you, Lord, but cares for each other. And God, I pray you grow us in all of these things. And even from today's sermon, God, I pray you grow us in our determination and resolve and urgency to live this life for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the, the truth of the gospel alone. We love you, Lord. Now speak to us, God, as we open up your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you and encourage you to grab a seat this morning. We're going to be in Acts 17, so you can start turning there now. Uh, Acts 17, uh, also, verse, also chapter 18, and so we're going to hit two chapters today. But as you turn there, if you don't have a Bible, one of the ushers will be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. Uh, I just want to give you a, quick, a couple quick updates. So Mexico is going to be one of them, and then Omar sent us a video, and so way better hearing from him than me. Amen. And so uh, so encourage you to see what God is doing in Mexico. I just want to encourage you with this, that, that you know, we, we think churches just happen. They don't. We need to pray for them. Uh, Mexico, as we learned when we were there, is uh, probably about 1% to 2% evangelical Christian. And so in a city of 26 million people, Mexico City is, uh, how urgent it is for the gospel and how much, what, a, what, a, what a, an opportunity for the light to shine in darkness. So pray for them. As he even shared, he's uh, honest, just a real guy. That's what I like about Omar. It's been hard and it's been tough and it's going to get harder and it's going to be tougher. So we need to pray for them urgently. And, uh, and I also know you're going to be ready to give financially and to go when the time comes. But uh, really encourage you to see what God is doing there. Continue to be encouraged with that. Also want to encourage you with this before we get into the sermon. Uh, we get all excited about global mission. Well, guess what? We have uh, about 400,000 people in the Niagara region around us that also need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so sometimes we get so focused on missions being out there, we forget that it's right here too. And so this week, there's two opportunities for you to go out. We, we don't just do these missions things for, uh, so we can say, look at the things we're doing. We don't just do them for our staff. We do them for you to give you opportunities to live out your faith and calling. And so tomorrow, you heard the announcements, I'm not going to repeat them, but tomorrow and Saturday, there's two opportunities for you to go out and, and share the good news of Jesus with those in our community. And our community needs revival as much as any city in Mexico, Amen. And so let's, get, a, let's get, get on board with those things and let's stretch your faith and live out your calling. Uh, God will be honored and blessed. And you'll grow closer to the Lord through this as well. Uh, don't fool yourself. It's not just for everybody else. It's for our own obedience. And we grow closer to the Lord in these things as well. So I'm going to encourage you, don't just pray about these things. Come to these things. How many times do all pray about it? They don't show up. Don't pray about it. This is, God, this is what God wants for us. Just come. And we'll see what God does. All right. Acts chapter 17 and 18. This past week, I was on a a popular website looking at a list of the top 100 people that somebody came up with who have changed the world. 
And it was inspiring, to say the least, to look at the list of inventors and presidents and politicians and activists and poets and musicians and spiritual religious leaders who refused to sit back and do nothing in life, but instead step up and make a difference with the time on earth that God has given them. I was inspired by looking over this list. Some of the names you'll recognize on this list, people who made a difference in this world, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Declaration of Independence. These are some of the top 10. William Shakespeare, an English poet and playwright. Martin Luther King, a civil rights leader. Abraham Lincoln, the U.S. president during the Civil War that helped end slavery. And Nelson Mandela, the anti-apartheid leader, the first president of democratic South Africa in 1994. Reading some of these, I was inspired. These are, these are men who made their lives count. And, and yet I wonder as I read this list, so, so many of these people, so now they're dead and gone. So what's it matter now for them in all of eternity? What inspired me even more about this list was not some of those guys that we know, uh, famous guys that the world knows, but some of the guys that made the list that, that spent themselves, and because of their faith and conviction in Jesus Christ, spent themselves and risked it all in this world for the glory of the gospel. Those are the names that really quickened to my heart. Men like this made the list at 91, William Wilberforce. A Christ follower, because of his, his conviction in the word, uh, single-handedly abolished slavery in Europe. Or this guy... William Tyndale came in at 60, who translated the Bible into English and paid for it with his life. What about this guy? You know him, Martin Luther, number 16, a key figure in the Protestant Reformation. He risked it all that we even might stand here today with the truth of God's word. And number 11 is the Apostle Paul, the man, the man that we're studying right now, the Christian missionary who, who really was almost uh, was called by God to like, take the gospel and spread it to the world. And of course, even in the secular list, guess who made number one? Jesus Christ. Because you can't refute the power and the impact of Jesus Christ on this world. And think of what he did in this life. A short 33 years, Jesus Christ put it all on the line. He said, Father, whatever you want, I will do. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to spend it that others might know the full reality of the heavenly Father who loves them and who sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. Read the list. I was getting fired up in this reality. Like, man, I don't want to waste my life. I want to do something with it. But not just to change the world, but to change people's lives for all of eternity. I tell you those things because Acts chapter 17 and chapter 18, we see a couple more names that should be added to that list because they're on God's list of world changers. And it's Paul made the list, but what about Silas and Timothy who were right there with him, sort of like the who cares in the world, but but, but God cares. And look what it says in chapter 17, verse 6. As Paul and Silas and Timothy are preaching the gospel. Those around them notice that these men have turned the world upside down. See that in here? These men have turned the world upside down. They're world changers for Jesus Christ. These are men who live their lives that to impact people and influence the culture for Jesus and left a profound impact for the gospel. And so I'm going to take that as the theme of the next two chapters. We're going to do two chapters today, and so don't worry, we'll still be only 45 minutes, but we're going to do two chapters today. With with this thought in mind is that God is calling us, just like he called the early church, God is calling us to be world changers for Jesus. God has given us in Acts chapter 1-8 the mandate. Remember, we learned this right at the beginning of the series. He's given us power, uh, spiritual dynamite to be his witnesses to now take the message of the gospel to the world that we might be world changers for Jesus. And so as we get into this study this morning, I want to ask you a question before we start. Let me ask you this. You think about world changes and changing the world for Jesus. Could this sentence be said of you by those around you? Would the people around you label you a world changer or a world conformer? Are you embarking on God's mission and mandate to be a catalyst for Christ in your little sphere of influence in the world? Not all of us are going to be on the grand stage, but every one of us can influence the little world that we live in for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
Acts 17 and 18, the disciples do a lot of things and accomplish a lot of tasks. But I'm going to pull out of the text today that you might not read exactly in the text, but I'm going to pull out the character qualities that cause them to be such world changers and influences for Jesus that we too might learn from their example and leave this place, not just arms held high to Jesus, but hearts determined that I am also, as God enables, going to change my world for Jesus. So five characteristics of people who turned the world upside down for Jesus. Number one you can write down is simply this. They had a courageous spirit. They had a courageous spirit. I'm going to pick and choose some of the portion of what we read, but I'm going to summarize some of it for you so we can get through it all in a, t- a lot of time. But, but, but here's where we go. Remember last week, uh, remember the story from last week, uh, Paul and Silas found themselves you know, preaching the gospel in Philippi, headed for Asia, preaching the gospel in Philippi, found themselves beaten and put in prison, yet the Lord miraculously delivered them got this governmental escort out of town, you'd think at this point they'd be like, time for a breather. Time for a little vacay by the ocean or time to hang up the preaching pants for a while. Things are getting pretty tough, but, but look at the courage of these men. They don't even skip a beat going on from Philippi. Verse, chapter 17, verse one, now when they had passed through uh, the couple more places, they came to Thessalonica traveled uh, probably about 100 miles in, in a couple of days, ending up in Thessalonica, a city of 200,000 people, the capital, the most important city in Macedonia. And where do they go from there? And there they went, there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so where do they go? Paul, like, like, like courageous Paul, goes right into the synagogue, as was his custom. He goes to the place where they're seeking God, probably one of the hardest places to go into. And every time Paul entered a synagogue, what would happen? What would happen? People get all fired up. They chase him out of the synagogue and try and beat him up and put him in jail. And yet, where does this, can you see the courage already of, of Paul and his, his little crew here? They go straight back to the synagogue. As was his custom, in three days, and three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul, straight to the lion's den, boldly marching the place of Jewish worship and sharing the message that Jesus Christ is the only way. He starts reasoning with them. He starts giving them a reason to believe in Jesus. And so look what he does. How does he give them a reason? And he says this. He explains to them. He opened up the scripture and helped them understand, and he proclaims to them. He explains, see this, he explains, he opens up the Bible and helps them understand, he proves, he skillfully makes a case and defends it for Jesus Christ. He proclaims, he announces with energy the fact that that Jesus Christ suffered and died, but guess what, he also rose from the dead. Look at his message. This Jesus, not, not the dead one, the risen one, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He goes in and he preaches a message of the resurrection of Jesus, a a living Jesus. Courage to proclaim a truth that most people would laugh at and scoff at and refute the fact that even though we can't see him, we believe what? That Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen? I love how John Stott says it. This is an important message that Paul preaches as one that we should be preaching because Christianity is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at the heart of what we believe. If you remove the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. And so, and so Paul courageously goes and he's defending the faith and he's saying, Jesus is alive. It'd be like you or I, just, just want to help you understand the courage of this man. It'd be like you or I walking, going to the Middle East right now, walking into a mosque and proclaiming a resurrected Jesus. Can you imagine how that might be a little intimidating? Or a little closer to home, like you and I marching over to Brock University to, to sit in a debate with some of their top professors to, to tell them and explain to them and prove to them that Jesus Christ is alive in front of a candid audience. You put me in any one of those two situations, and guess what? My knees would be knocking and my voice would be shaking and I'd be calling out to God for help. 
Paul and his buddies are not intimidated. I, I, I don't see courage in this text, but I, I see courage all over what they're doing. There's always a, there's always a characteristic behind the, the action, right? The characteristic is courage. They're not intimidated, and look what happens. Look what happens because, because of their courage. Can you imagine many of us would be like, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. Nothing's going to come out of that, really? All it's going to do is, is, is malign my name and make ridicule. Look, look what happens because of their, their courage. Some were persuaded. I love how Jesus promises when we preach his word, God does the work, right? And, and some even come, and some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So, so lots of people are jumping on board. Uh, but then what happens is what always happens when, when we step out in courage and when the disciples stepped out in courage, but the Jews got jealous and taking some wicked men of the, of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring, out, bring, bring them out into the crowd. When they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, and they've also come here also. And Jason's received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. So what starts happening is things we can expect to happen. People get all stirred up, and they start stirring other people up, and all of a sudden the hate gets on, and and the opposition arises, and they they go to find the disciples and drag them out. They're not home by God's providence, and so they drag the Jewish man, Jason, out in the street, and and they start saying, well, these these guys, what do they have against them? They're they're trying to undermine Caesar. They're proclaiming another king besides Caesar. They take some money from Jason and let him go. We see here just another day in the life of a difference maker. Just another day in the life of a difference maker. I just want to stop here and say this about our lives if we're going to also endeavor to make a difference for Jesus. It takes courage to keep going on for Jesus knowing that, quite honestly, many are going to oppose us. It takes guts to keep getting up from getting knocked down again. Remember the Chumbawamba song? I get knocked down, but I get up again. It's a real guy, apparently, Chumbawamba. (laughs) But it takes courage, it takes guts. Following Jesus in a way that's gonna make a difference in the world around us, I wanna tell you this is not for the faint of heart. Difference makers aren't people who cower in the corner afraid to talk about their faith or afraid to cause a little disturbance. Different makers, difference makers are more concerned about others' eternal destinies than their own comfort. And world changes are about the approval of God, not about the approval of man. What keeps most of us, what keeps most of us from truly making a difference for Jesus? I believe it comes down to one simple thing. We lack courage. And somehow we equate Christianity with comfort when Christianity is not comfort, it's a calling to be uncomfortable for Jesus Christ. We ask God, God, use us and God, do great things for our lives and then we're simply too scared to even open our mouths and proclaim the name of Jesus. So I'm gonna tell you this. Brothers and sisters, we endeavor to live out Acts. That's what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to learn what they did. Good for them. That's what they did. But, but we want to see Acts happen again today. We want to see revival happen in Canada today, again, right now. I just want to know as we live this out, the gospel will offend some people. People will oppose. But God has called us and given us courage to step up even in light of whatever happens in the world around us. Think of this, write this verse down. If you haven't memorized this verse yet, memorize this because this is gonna be key for you as you move forward in living out the text of what we're, of what we're, we're reading. 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-discipline. How could they do this? How could they have such courage? You know how they have such courage? Because they surrendered themselves to God and said, God, work in me, work through me, do what it takes to use me for the gospel. That's how they had courage. It wasn't them mustering up a little bit of courage and these super strong men. It was men wholly surrendered to God and and a a passion for Jesus and seeing lost souls and how desperately they needed Jesus. 
Let me ask you this today before we move on to point number two. Five points today. Point number two. Let me ask you this. What's your courage meter at today? Where's your courage meter at? Are you at a zero and thinking somehow that that's okay with, with following Christ and being useful for God? Or are you at a 10? All in, doesn't matter what people think, just want to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. I believe it's time for all of us, wherever you're at on that spectrum, wherever you're at, it's time for all of us to get on our face and say, oh God, I don't want to waste my life. I need you to give me the heart of Paul, the heart of Paul like in Romans 1, 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You a brave heart today? Are you like the tin can man cowering every step of the way? World changers don't back down. They step up in courage. Number two is this. World changers are also this. They have a dogged determination. They have a dogged determination. See a picture of Paul like reasoning and, and not necessarily preaching but reasoning with people and persuading them and, and, and giving them a reason to believe and then the, the whole uproar happens and so what do Paul and Silas generally do when the uproar happens? They like get out of Dodge. No point sticking around they're just going to kill you, right? And so look at this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Anytime you have to leave somewhere in the middle of the night in a fast way, sneaky Probably not the best of circumstances. And so they leave, they get out of town in the middle of the night, and they go to, to Berea. And this is a little off the beaten path little city. They're not just going for the grandiose, they're going wherever God leads them. And in Berea, they find uh, a group of people in the synagogue again. They're determined, are they not? You read this, and like either they're really, really dumb, or, or they're stubborn and just want to prove a point. Or they just love Jesus and really believe that he is the answer to every person's problems. He's the answer to sin. We'll have to go with number three on that one. So go straight back to the synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, <clears throat> examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so God's, God's movement, see this is, is it's for, the, for the Jews, it's for the Greeks, it's for men, it's for women. But the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God is proclaimed by Paul and Berea also. They also, guess what they did? Guess where he is now? Guess where he's in now? Berea, let's get the mob together, let's chase the... It never ends. A couple things from this little section in Berea that I want to point out to you. Paul and Barnabas were so focused on getting the message of the gospel out that nothing else seemed to matter. It didn't matter if it was a big city or a little city. It wasn't the, just a grand stage. It was in the little offbeat, often beaten path. Wherever God had them, guess what they were doing? Wherever God had them, they were waiting for the next opportunity. You're like, oh God, please show me next. They're, wherever they were, guess what they did? Preach Jesus Christ. I, I read these stories of the disciples and man, like, like they were doggedly determined, like a dog to root, like, Arr! I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit until I get that thing out. I, I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit until I get the message out. And in Berea, when it says that these were noble people, it wasn't like they were like of the upper class. It wasn't, it wasn't people of actually noble bloodlines or royalty. It was actually noble people in the fact that their hearts were noble towards the things of God. They were probably in Berea, just like us, just regular blue-collared people just trying to make their way through life. But the difference between them and Thessalonica, Thessalonica, the city before, was filled with all kind of the, the, the back-of-the-classroom rowdies, you know, who didn't want to be there to learn, just wanted to stir up controversy. And Berea was a place where all the, the front-of-the-classroom keeners were. And as Paul and Silas preached there, God started moving there as well. And then in this, we see that, that Paul and Silas, it kind of takes it to the next level because they were not just determined to share the message of Jesus so that people would know. They also wanted to help people grow. Really, sometimes the easy job is sharing. You know where the hard job starts? 
discipling others in the things of the things of God. And so we can learn a couple things. Here we, we learn that world changers not just know the word, but they disciple others in the word. They're determined to not just know the word themselves, but to share it and to share it with not just unbelievers, but also other believers and help others to come along behind us to know the things of God. I love the example of the Bereans. What were the Bereans doing? They were receiving the word with all eagerness. This is, if we're going to be world changers, this starts with us. If we're going to be world changers, we have to receive the word with eagerness. It doesn't come up much in this series, the, 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 your personal disciplines in the faith, but, 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 but part of being alive in Jesus is, is growing daily with the steady nourishment of his spiritual food, which is found in the word of God. So they received the word with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is, they examined them, not just, here's the picture. Paul's teaching them like, yeah, sure, Paul, sounds great, but show me in the Bible. Sure, Paul, sounds great, but I want to see it right here in God's word for myself. And so instead of Paul going, yeah, great, go figure it out, he's like, great, let's sit down. I'll show you, I'll help you, I'll disciple you in these things so that you can be strong also and one day put into other people the truth of Jesus. Two things in this dogged determination thing, two things that if we're going to be world changers, we've got to be in the word. We've got to be in the word daily examining the scriptures. Why is it so important? Why is it so important? I just got to know that Jesus loves me and share the message that God loves them too. We grow through the word. How can we ever put into anyone else things that we don't know? We're all called to be Bereans, to, to study and to know and to be growing. I'm telling you this, I'm still learning as now in ministry for over 20 years. I'm still learning. I still pick up the Bible sometimes and I'm amazed at what I've forgotten or what I didn't know or Wow. World changes for Jesus daily have their nose in the word of God, learning and growing that they might put that into other people. Second thing is this, so I encourage you, if you're not there right now, you gotta get back to the word. If you're just coming to church and this is your daily, this is your weekly feeding and you go home, you gotta get back in the word. You gotta take on the, you ask God, give me a heart like a Berean. Not so you can have a biblical fat head, but your heart would be full. You could take that and translate it into somebody else's life. That's where it starts. Second thing is this, we need to be discipling others. If we're really gonna make a difference in this world, we need to be discipling others. How did Jesus multiply his life and affect so many people? He took a group of 12, closer group of three, and he invested his life fully in those people that when he was gone, the ministry just keeps on going. If you're gonna make an impact, it might be one life at a time as you pass on what you know to those around you, your family. Dads, you, you're gonna make a difference in this world. You gotta be discipling your family in the things of Jesus. Mom, you're in on that equation too. It's not just the dads, it's discipling your family. What about your extended family? What about your, your, your church family, those in your small group, the younger believers in your small group that you, you see week in and week out, they just don't know, and you do, and you, you know, pray for them. Like, what about getting involved in their lives and actually helping them to grow? This church is full of people who are on all ends of the spectrum, and we need, to be, we need to be thinking discipleship mentality, dogged determination, not just to know, but to help people grow. That's gonna make a profound difference in this world. I was encouraged lately as I hear of um, one of the guys in our men's studies to encourage you that this, this is possible and this is happening. One of the guys in our men's study on Friday mornings, we've been meeting every Friday morning uh, since January. It was like a four-month commitment studying Bible doctrine every week. 10 to 15 to 20 guys show up and we study and one of the guys early on was telling me, you know what I'm gonna do with this study? I'm like, what are you I challenge him, take this study, don't just keep it to yourself, do something with it. You know what he's doing every Friday morning? He's meeting with us from seven to eight. You know what he does every Saturday morning? He disciples his brother and his wife in the same things that he's learned from us on Friday. There's a world changer. Might not be on the grand stage, but changing his own world through a dogged determination to not just know, but to help others grow. Let's keep going. Paul and Silas keep going. They don't stop. They never stop. People follow them from Thessalonica to Berea. Get chased out of Berea. 
end up in Athens. And in Athens, we have one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture of Paul preaching the gospel to a city that has no idea of God. We see Paul continuing on with this. This is the third thing you need to write in your notes. Gospel faithfulness. Here's what world changers are. Courageous spirit, dogged determination. There's gospel faithfulness. Now, Paul was waiting, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Here's the culture of Athens. It's a, a place of education and fine arts and the place of culture. And, and yet Paul, again, he gets there, and he's not there to sightsee and soak it all in. He's there on mission. As he's doing his initial walkthrough, one of the things he notices is there's idols galore. They're worshiping all kinds of things, probably even themselves, as our culture does, but worshiping all kinds of things. And the one, thing, the one person they weren't worshiping was God. So look what happened. His soul became provoked within him. Provoked is restless. It even has a connotation of a little bit of anger. Burdened. He sees people who are lost and he's burdened for them. And he gets a little angry because he realizes that, man, all these idols, they're, they're not giving what only Jesus can give and they're wasting their lives. They're going to end up in eternity in hallow, not, not anywhere near heaven. He gets a little fired up about that. And so where does he go? So he went again and he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Notice how it's in these context here. He's not preaching per se. He's reasoning in every single one of these. He's reasoning. He's reasoning. More of a sit down, have a conversation. Let's figure this out. And, and then he even goes to the marketplace every, to, to, be where people are, who are, to be where people are every day. To be with those who happen to be there. He's like, well, I'm here in Athens and I'm in the synagogue. I want to do the rest of my time. I'm going to go to where the people are and I'm just going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to wait for them to come to church. I'm not going to wait for them to come into my life. I'm going to go and invade their lives with the truth of the gospel. So determined to have gospel faithfulness. And I want to point out where he's doing this because Athens sounds a lot like St. Catharines or Ontario or Canada. Because sometimes we think, well, they have gospel faithfulness. It's a little easier for them in that day than it is for us today. And that's just not the case. And, and I think if we understand the setting of Athens, we have a little more understanding of, of how bold and determined and courageous uh, Paul really is. So he's being faithful with the gospel, get this, in a world much like ours that has already read this, full of false idols. In a world that worships everything but God. Paul is still faithful with the gospel. Look, look, look what else characterizes Athens. In a world rooted in philosophy, Paul is faithful with the gospel. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. So he's running into in Athens a whole mindset that is not a gospel mindset. It's not a God-centered mindset. It's this mindset of philosophy. At the time, Athens was home to one of the world's most famous universities. They loved philosophizing about everything. What do you think? Here's what I think. Ooh, that's pretty novel and new. What do you think? And the Epicureans, these were, these were people that taught that pleasure and avoidance of pain were the chief end of life. Just have fun. Just avoid pain. That's what life's all about. This is the Epicureans. The Stoics were a little bit different. They were ones who, who emphasized self-mastery as the greatest virtue. So they, they were trying to be indifferent to pleasure or pain. So this world, there's all kinds of ideas abounding, and yet God is not part of the equation at all. Sounds like Canada, doesn't it? Amen. All kinds of philosophies out there. Warren Wiersbe says this, the Epicureans were saying, enjoy life. You ever heard that message in our world? Just enjoy life. Whatever makes you happy, whatever's good. This is the Epicureans. The Stoics were saying, endure life. Just, just, just get to the end. Just got to fight through. Yet, remained steadfast, Paul was, to explain how they could enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ. Epicureans enjoy life, Stoics endure life. Paul, eternal life. More of the culture. 
So the philosophers are like, what's this babbler wishing to say? Like, this guy's just babbling on and on. It doesn't make any sense to us. All about logic, right, and what feels right. And others said he must be a preacher of a foreign divinity because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Again, preaching a live Jesus. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying this, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Again, sounds like our culture, right? If it's new, it's great. If it's old, it's passe. It's new, it's gotta be new. It's, even with Christianity, it's gotta be something new. I gotta have never heard it before. It's not gonna light up my heart. This is the culture, and it actually plays into Paul's hands because this is something new for them. It's like, why don't you come and, and share with us? And so he's now before the Areopagus, and it's sort of like the court that kind of governed education and religion, except it wasn't for a court tribunal. It was more of a like, just, just tell us. Just tell us what's going on. And so now we get into Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. So Paul, standing in the midst of the court or the people, stands on in the middle of the culture on Mars Hill and preaches this profound sermon that is even different than the ones he preached before. In the synagogues, he sort of opens up the word and he kind of gives it to them hard. This one, he comes at a totally different perspective for a, a people who had no religious background, didn't know anything about God. He doesn't come from the word of God. He comes in and, and teaches them from a different, more soft, more gentle, more reasoning, more explaining but he's faithful with the gospel. I think even us, as we look at our culture, that's just like we just finished studying their culture was, we, we get in this mindset, but can you really be faithful with the gospel in this culture? No one's gonna hear, no one's gonna understand. They just reject. Look at Paul's example. He gets up and stands on an old hill. Anything can be a pulpit, right? Mars Hill is a pulpit for him in the middle of where everybody is at. And it's probably a summary of what he said, but let me read to you his sermon passionately proclaiming Jesus Christ. I think we can learn from Paul. I think sometimes we get into one mode and one mode only. If you're not doing this, if you're not, if you're not, then you're not preaching and if you're not screaming, if you don't have passion, but yet, look, how, look how Paul preaches. Standing in the midst of the people, he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He affirms them is what he's doing, Right? He starts affirming them, and I see you're seeking after supernatural things. You're looking for the meaning of life. Let me explain that to you. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. You fully admit that you have unknown gods. Let me explain to you the known God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you that this is God. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. And this is a God that does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries for their dwelling place, that they should what? Seek this God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. It is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, he takes from their culture again. It's like sometimes we use illustrations from our culture. Even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed. And of all this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I love it. Don't you love it? Sometimes we make sharing the gospel so hard and so deep and so theological and I can't do it, it's too hard and I don't have enough knowledge and, and I gotta memorize all the scriptures and what does Paul do? What does he do? 
We can learn from this in our culture. What's he do? He affirms their pursuit. He passionately proclaims the gospel. He's so faithful to the gospel. He affirms their pursuit. He reveals the true God. He's like, this is the God, this is the God you're looking for. He's the eternal creator. He's the all-sufficient Lord. He doesn't need you to make him or he doesn't need your human hands. He doesn't need you to build him a place to dwell. He's all-sufficient. He's the sovereign king. He decides who lives on this earth and where people go and what boundaries they live in. He's the awesome savior. He's not as far as you think. In fact, this God sent his son Jesus to come close to you and live among you that you might see him and know him and Know that you have a heavenly father. You say there's a God up there. Well, he's your heavenly father who so wants an intimate relationship. This is simply the gospel. He starts at Genesis and just works his way through. And then he calls them, one of the things we miss a lot, to faith and repentance. See that in the text? He calls them to faith and repentance. So, so God is okay with your ignorance for a while, but now you know. Now you know. You need to put all the idols aside. You need to come to the one true God. He's the one that gives you eternal life. He's the one that satisfies your longing, the longing of your soul. He's the one that forgives your sins. He's the one that walks with you. None of these idols can do this. None of these silly philosophies can do this. Only the truth found in Jesus Christ. Jesus can be known and he is our only hope. Is really a summary of all this sermon. I love how Paul's just so faithful with the gospel. Are we as faithful as sharing the simple good news of Jesus with those around us? It's one thing to see Paul doing it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's great. I love this. I love this model. I love this mode. I, I love how he's so gentle, yet he's so straight. I love it. I don't think God put this in here for us to love it. And to talk about the different models of how we can do evangelism. You know what I think God put this in here? To show us how to do it. And to motivate us to live our lives in the same way. Athens, Canada. We're called to share and be faithful. God's called to serve. Look what happens in this context. So when they hear this message, the resurrection of the dead, three responses, the same responses we'll hear when we're faithful with the gospel. Some mocked, some laughed it off. <laughs> this guy's an idiot. Some, some laughed, laughed it off. Others said, we'll hear you about this again. Notice how it wasn't like an instant, like they're saved. Like, let's keep talking. Some, some laughed it up. They're like, let's keep talking. I'm sure there's others in the crowd that sort of just like looked the other way and threw their hands up in the air and walked the other way. But So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among the names that are written here. Here's what a world changer is. A world changer is faithful. Whatever culture, whatever setting, a world changer is just faithful with the gospel. A world changer is determined to turn the world upside down for Jesus, not by personality, not by, not by making a name for ourselves, not, not by our, our charisma, but simply by preaching the truth of Jesus. You want to turn your world upside down? Start just speaking the name of Jesus in your neighborhood with your neighbors. Not, not slamming them, just bringing the message of Jesus in your workplace, with your customers, with, with your friends and family. This has been kind of the theme throughout the whole thing. Just determine that this week I'm not gonna miss those opportunities that God brings before me to help people. They don't know who God is, to help people at least begin to have an understanding of who God is, that God can then have opportunity to do his work. How are people gonna hear unless we bring them the good news? Romans tells us. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. I'm going to be determined to go where the people are at. I think our culture makes this hard because what we do is we drive in our garages, we go in our homes, we hang out in the backyards. And only to go out to the grocery store and to come back. But we see in this example that, that, that God's calling us to be where the people are. 
God's calling us to, to, to make an effort to be where people are at the, the marketplace. Where's our marketplace? Maybe we don't have a market like they did back then, but, but think of the marketplace in your lives where people gather and people hang out, and it's, it's, it's good for Christians to be in those places. Even when they laugh, what are we? Faithful. Even when people oppose, what are we? Faithful. Even when people marginalize and family laughs and coworkers oppose, and even when friends marginalize, what are, what are we? We're faithful. Even when we're discouraged and feel alone, like I'm sure Paul and Silas did many a time. We're faithful. We're faithful, we're faithful, we're faithful. Some of us, I think, have given up on being faithful because we're faithful and we didn't see anything happening and so we tried for a month or tried for a couple years and used to be excited about this kind of thing and we've given up on being faithful because we've got sidetracked with things or we've just completely got discouraged. We've given up on God that God's gonna use a simple message of the gospel or we try to add on to it. We gotta make this appealing, we gotta add on, we gotta, we gotta, somehow, we don't. What do we have to do? Preach the gospel. Don't have to add anything to it. Don't have to make it more appealing. Simply have to preach the gospel like we try and do every single week here. Trusting that God is going to take the words of his word and he's going to apply it to hearts and he's going to save souls as he sees fit. Is your role saving souls? Nope. What's your role? Being faithful to preach the gospel. Got to go to number four. Last two ones are quick ones. Into chapter 18. World changers world changers have Jesus confidence. Let me summarize for you a little bit of chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 together. So from there, uh, Paul and Silas, they go to Corinth, well known for the, uh, as a center of trade and travel, a reputation for being a, a wicked city with money and vice and strange philosophies and new religions. Basically, it's a, it's a place to not want to plant a church. But it's a place where a church needs to be planted so the light can shine in the darkness. And so uh, Paul, funding his own trip, he's making tents. He's not, he's not out fundraising. He's making tents and, and everything. He's, he's trying to uh, fund his, his own way. And he's preaching. And, of course, opposition happens here too. And they oppose him and revile him. And in verse 6, notice how it comes up in every single little section. Every single little section. Which brings us back to the courage thing, right? Look what he does, though. He's so confident in the message. He's so confident in Jesus' message. He, he doesn't like, well, they're opposing me. Maybe I'm not doing it right, or maybe, maybe it's not the right one. We tend to, right? Well, maybe, maybe I got it. Look what he does. He shook out his garments and said to them, he's sort of like, I, I've, done, I've done the best I can. I'm sure he's still burdened for them, and, and, but, but yet I'm, I'm innocent of, of your own blood, and, and I don't want to be held accountable for you, and I'll still pray for you, but, but from now on, I'm going to go to those who are going to hear he went to another house, uh, uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, the Jewish ruler of the synagogue, heard through all this and believed in the Lord, and his whole house became saved and were baptized. Again, here we see the order of salvation and baptism. And then in a dream, this is, this is, this is so encouraging for us because I'm sure if you're like me, you get to this point in the sermon, you're like, oh man, we gotta have courage and determination and be faithful to the gospel. I'm not, I'm not sure I can do that. Like, I'm a little bit scared just thinking about that and look at the confidence that God gives Paul and he gives us in living out this, not just knowing this, but living this out. He comes to Paul in a vision one night, but he comes to us through the word of God. He says this, do not be afraid. I think many of us need to hear this today. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Where does our confidence come from? I know my confidence doesn't come from me. I'm sure yours doesn't come from you either. Our confidence comes in knowing that this is God's calling upon us and God has given us specific promises. If we're gonna live this out, we're not gonna see the power of God if we're not gonna live this out. We're not gonna see these promises come true in our lives. We're gonna see them come true in everybody else's life. We're not gonna see them come true in our lives. But when we get down to the dirty business of following Jesus on mission, he promises Paul and he promises us that when we speak and aren't silent, he will be with us. And even when people in attack try to attack and harm us, he'll protect us. 
but to don't give up because there's many more people. What he's basically saying here is there's more people in the city who are mine and they don't even know it yet. There's many people here that I'm calling to myself that I'm going to use your lips for. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful or fearful. Just boldly proclaim Jesus knowing that I will be with you. World changers for Christ have Jesus confidence. Have Jesus confidence. What's the word we need to hear from God the most as we think about being on mission for Jesus? It's right here. Here's what it is. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Those moments where you know you should speak, do not be afraid. Those moments you know you should initiate, do not be afraid. This is how how God confirmed his message and his mandate in, in, in people throughout throughout the whole Bible with this simple, this simple phrase, fear not or do not be afraid. Abraham, he assured Abraham in Genesis 15, 1, don't be afraid. Isaac in Genesis 26, 24, don't be afraid. Jacob in Genesis 46, 3, don't be afraid. Daniel in Daniel 10 and Daniel, uh, Daniel 10, 12 and 19, don't be afraid. Mary in Luke 1, 30, don't be afraid. Peter in Luke 5, 10, don't be afraid. Paul here in Acts 18, verse 9 and 10, don't be afraid. Us, us, right here, right now, simply this, don't be afraid. I believe there's many people in this room that want to be used by God, want to make the, their lives count for Jesus, but the one thing that holds every one of us back at times in our lives is fear. And what God wants us to know today is that fear holds you back no longer from what God wants you to accomplish in this life for his glory in other people's lives. Let fear hold you back no longer. Take this promise. Take the promise from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Go and preach the gospel. Don't just sit there. Go. Don't just hang out. Go and preach the gospel. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Omar was telling us on the video. It's hard. It's scary. But God's promising. And as he's saying, and God's doing it. He's actually, he's actually doing it in my life. When we go, God will do it in our lives too. Take promises like Psalm 34, 4. When I call to God, he will answer me and deliver me from what? From all my fears. I think one of our greatest fears is living for Jesus Christ in, in a world that's opposed. I am praying for you and for me that we'd be bold. That we'd, we'd not give in to the fear because God has given us a spirit of, of courage. One of the favorite verses I go to, you can write this one down if you want, Isaiah 41, verse 10. It's one of my favorite verses. It was given to me about four or five different times as we started to launch this church, and then, and then about a year later, and about four or five times, last five years, from different people who aren't connected at all have, have texted me or called me, said, I have a verse that God laid on my heart for you. This is it. It's in my Bible. It's circled. It's underlined. It's got little dates beside it. Here's what it is. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not, for I am with you. Tell you, it's come to me at places where I needed this message more than ever. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want to encourage you that if you're going to endeavor today and make a commitment today to be a world changer, you don't have to do it by yourself. You're not called to do it by yourself. You're called to trust in God and seek God and humbly allow God to fill you with his spirit and give you all that you need. He promises that he, if you do this, you will see him in your life in ways that you could have never imagined if you're just gonna sit on your couch at home. God's gonna be with you and he's gonna empower you and he's gonna protect you and he's gonna give you his presence and everything you need. I pray that we'll all know these promises, we live them out. Last but not least, here's the last one. A teachable heart. Five characteristics of people who turn the world upside down. Here's the last one, a teachable heart. A teachable heart. We get into this, and there's a a guy named Apollos. Paul's all around the place. You can read chapter 18, but we get into a guy named Apollos, a Jew, a native in verse 24 of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. This is who he was. He was an eloquent man. He had some charisma. He could articulate well. He was competent in the scriptures. He knew what the Bible said. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He could preach with power. Like he, he had it going on. This is like the up and coming, like the, uh, the top of the under 30 of who's 30. You know, the lists that come out that really don't matter. He's the top of that list. 
Fired up passion, he spoke and he taught according to the things concerning Jesus, although he only knew until the baptism of John. So he didn't fully understand the whole, the whole message of the gospel and the, the Holy Spirit coming and all that stuff. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And so things are happening. But then Priscilla and Aquila, the, the two older couple who were tent makers, we learned of them at the beginning of Acts 18 that God gave Paul and Silas these, these two wonderful elderly people that come alongside them, godly people to encourage them. He's preaching in the synagogue. Priscilla and Aquila hear him and they take him out for Sunday lunch after. And like, hey, great job, man, but, but can we teach you something that, that would just enhance your ministry and help you thrive in the things of Jesus Christ? Explain to him the way of God more accurately doesn't say what happened in that meeting, but obviously he sat there and he doesn't say that he got up and laughed and said, I'm the eloquent preacher and I've got this very, I've been a Christian for now however many years and look at what's happening in my ministry. Who cares what you have to say? Verse 27, it just seems that they had a nice little conversation there between verse 26 and 27. Then when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those through those who through grace believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing that by the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. We have a sense that they had this little meeting and he had this little, this little talk with Aquila and Priscilla and that only spurred his ministry on to greater things for the glory of God. Why did I add this at the end of the sermon? What a good place to, to finish with the promise. And the, because here's where I think a lot of us go short in our desire to be world changers, we, we get all wrapped up in what we know. We got all wrapped up in trying to articulate and help people think that we're awesome and that we, we somehow have a, a monopoly on something and yet we fail to recognize this, that we're lifelong learners. We are lifelong learners and true, true world changers are always open to learning and being guided in the right direction. There's a humility in true world changes for Jesus. It's not seen in the world changes on the top 100 list of world world changes, but in the world changes in Jesus' economy, there's a true humility that's open to learning from other people. Not always speaking, but open to learning, even from people a couple years older than us or, or, or even a couple years younger than us. World changes for Jesus never get in this mindset that now I'm the teacher and everybody else should listen to me because I have studied and I have it figured out and I've been walking with Jesus long enough. World changes for Jesus come into the room with a, not with a who are you mentality, but with a who am I kind of heart. World changes for Jesus are constantly eager to learn and grow and surround themselves with people who inspire them and teach them and guide them and keep them accountable before the Lord. World changes for Jesus never get to a place where I have it all figured out or I'm going to run solo. Never get to a point where I'm afraid to receive instruction or give instruction for the glory of God. I think it's an important note here because I think it's one that we can often miss. Could end with the promise, but I think this is a key to being a world changer for Jesus. I'm constantly praying for my own heart and for your hearts that we'd never stop learning and growing. We'd never stop pursuing Jesus and being humble. We'd never stop allowing others to input into our lives and to help us grow in this journey we call journey of the faith. Because when we're humble, God's power attaches himself to the humble. And to the proud, God steps away from the proud. And so we do all these things in a spirit of humility, knowing that God's not done in me yet. And God's not done in you yet. So together, let's go after this for the glory of God. World changers. Five characteristics. Let me go back to the beginning question Are you a world changer or are you a world conformer? as you live your life. Right here, right now, God is calling us all to be world changers. Acts 1.8, he's called us and given us power to be his witnesses, to take the message of Jesus to our Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God's given us it all. Will we step up or will we shrink back? I pray that we'd all be in this place where we want to make a difference and who cares if we get on any lists in this world? 
We want to get on God's list that, that they were faithful and they influenced their little world for Jesus to the best of their ability because they loved the Lord and had a burden for souls. Let me pray. God, we read this chapter. We're inspired by it. We want to be like Paul and Silas and Timothy. Yet, oh God, we recognize that we are inadequate. We are sinful. We're often afraid. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray simply this. Empower us, Lord. Every person here, if there's, there's some here that don't know Jesus yet, oh God, would you give them faith today to even believe that you are the resurrected Lord, to, to want to dive into scriptures, to know the truth of who you are, knowing that one day they will stand before you. God, would you give them faith today? Lord, for the believers here, simply do this, God, inspire in us and, and fill in us a courage and a determination and a faithfulness and a confidence and a humility to follow you every single day out into a world that so desperately needs to know you. God, would you use us to cause revival to happen here in St. Catharines and the surrounding region. God, we recognize 360 or 70,000 people that don't know Jesus Christ. Help us not just to talk about evangelism, God, but to live it, even to go this Monday and this Saturday to go and to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We know this is the best use of our life, God, and I pray you'd use our lives, the short time we have here on earth, to use our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.